On the show this week, we look into all the changes announced by the ICC from USA's T20 World Cup qualification in 2024 to regional pathways, changes on the women's side and prospective ODI status, plus a wrap of news in the game this week. But first, a shout out to our friends on Patreon. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout out to our latest patron, Cooper Underwood. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log into patreon.com forward slash Emerging Cricket. Up next, plenty to discuss in the governance of the Emerging Game. It's been a big week in Emerging Cricket, and we have it all for you this week on the podcast, online, and on Sport FM. Nick Skinner, Tim Culler, and myself, Daniel Beswick, to discuss it all. How are we, gents? Uh, a busy week in the Emerging game, not just on the field, but off the field, too, with some uh, decisions at the very high end of the international game, which we'll get into a moment. Nick, I'll start with you. How's things? Very well. I'm, uh, I'm excited to welcome you back onto the show, taking over the reins again. Um, yeah, been busy, you know, working, doing emerging cricket. Uh, obviously, not as busy as you have been. Uh, I think you said you were uh, out of out of your own bed for everything but a, a week or two in the last little while. Uh, since December five, slept in my own bed at the night of recording a total of fifteen times since <laughs> December five. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, look, it's been a little frustrating not being able to contribute more on this side and in emerging cricket in general, but. For the next sort of indefinite period, there's a lot to discuss and a lot to do in emerging cricket and definitely keen to have a bit more of a hands-on role. But good to hear and and listen every week to the pod with you, Tim, and and a range of other people helping out. It's been good to see things sort of ticking along, Uh, enjoying listening as a fan and not having to listen to my own voice while going through the tape again each week as we go through the news. Tim, how are you? Uh, Escaped your little COVID bout. Looking good mate uh and i'm saying this with the with the greatest deal of respect you've managed to fight covid beat it and uh live to tell the tale again the magic medium of podcasts can only do so much to describe how i feel right now um i'm good still a bit hazy um recovering not quite 100 percent. managed to almost um kill myself on saturday playing golf a day after i tested negative Almost collapsed on the, the fifth green. Probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. Luckily, there was someone with a cart that could drive me around afterwards. But uh, never had that feeling. Like After playing cricket and god-awful heat, you know, Campbelltown, Penrith, Hawkesbury, etc. And Ugh. bowling and etc. And, and, and never have had that kind of weak knees on the way down. But anyway, I'm okay. Um, good news here about borders reopening come 1st of July which will mean that we can hopefully welcome teams in and meaning the team can get in and out I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week apologies everyone if I'm repeating myself but that's exciting because we have a lot of cricket planned for the second half of this year so looking forward to that actually happening you know starting with our men jumping over to Canada for the Challenge League A in uh, in mid-July so looking forward to that and uh, yeah, the, the earth continues to rumble here. I think we had a, uh, an earthquake last week, so uh, so hard to jump out of the bed and uh, hold the TV to stop it shaking off the bedside table and then holding the little um, side table at the same time. So that was that was a good one. That was about a six on the Richter scale, not far away. So yeah, life is good, Daniel. It's good to have you back. 
there's only so many times that you know the two of us can uh, carry the torch without you so um the question was posed last week how long until you're doing one of these in an, an entire kiwi accent because uh <laughs> for, for those who haven't seen your your uh, pitch report from the uh from the world cup maybe they should uh <laughs> maybe say go have a look at that but um of course we would want to be discriminatory to other people but um you do do a good kiwi accent Daniel, can you tell us? We kid because we love across the ditch. I did cop a few barbs while I was over there as well. Uh, I've got to say that the, the tournament was, was great to be a part of. There was a big Thailand-shaped hole in that tournament, though. And we will discuss the affairs of, of Thai cricket and associate cricket, I suppose, from some of the board meeting findings uh, from the ICC last week. They came out uh, on Sunday with a range of different findings from all of their chats during last week and but to give us a brief overview we heard that the usa will also be a part of the 2024 world cup confirmed as competitors not only as hosts they've been given playing rights as part of that tournament as well not needing to go through qualifiers which does have a pretty big impact on how qualification for that tournament does pan out we will get into that in a second as well uh looking at at some of the other Parts of that structure will now go through continental qualifications instead of global qualifications uh, to determine the final eight teams of the 2024 World Cup. Uh, we'll have 12 automatic qualifiers, and that will come via rankings, finishes at the 2022 World Cup, and of course, the two hosts of the tournament, the West Indies and the USA. Just running through some of the other findings an eight-team ICC Women's Cricket World Cup in 2025. We'll see the five highest-placed teams at the end of the 2022-2025 ICC Women's Championship qualify automatically alongside a host, which is yet to be confirmed. The remaining teams will be identified through uh, a global qualifying event. Other bits and pieces to talk about as I sift through the range of notes that we have. ODI status to be extended to a number of associate member women's teams, including Thailand, to enable them to progress to global qualifying events Events based on ODI rankings. Uh, we'll hear more of that as it comes to hand. And the inaugural ICC Women's Under-19 World Cup will be a 2020 tournament in South Africa next year, of which there'll be 16 teams. Also, the Women's T20 World Cup 2024, eight countries to book berths to the marquee event automatically, including the top three teams from each group of the 2023 event, plus the host, if they are not part of that six, and the next highest-ranked teams on the MRF ICC Women's T20 Rankings Table. Oh, and, and the final part, uh, which we shouldn't sort of skip past, although, Nick, I'm sure you have plenty of opinions on this. The ICC is continuing to support the Afghanistan's men's team to play international cricket while monitoring the governance of the sport in the country, including the development of the women's game. Hmm. Uh, Mirai Ashraf being appointed as well to oversee quite a bit of that too. So... I think it's pretty, it, it would have been remiss of us not to talk about these board findings to kind of lead into the show this week because a lot of this directly affects a lot of associate members and a lot of high-end associate members If that. Thailand, I think, being a key part of that. But to you, Nick, what were your kind of initial reactions to, to all of the, the findings of the last week in the ICC meetings? Well, yeah, like you say, there's a lot going on. In, in terms of the Thailand thing, I, I mean, I guess we can start there. I, yeah, it's, I mean, good in inverted commas that they're being given ODI status and it's still pretty vague. Uh, as It just says a number of associate women's teams. So, 
we, we don't know how many or, or which ones, but we, we do uh, we do know that Thailand is one of them, which, I mean, yeah, thinking back to the way that they uh, missed out on uh, qualification to the World Cup and, and to the Women's Championship does sort of feel like too little too late. Um, and, I mean, maybe it'll come out later, but it doesn't seem like there's any word on how the decisions being made other than the usual kind of just we said so making it up on the run uh you know it makes me think back to i think it was in the early 2000s kenya got uh well (laughs) it was called permanent odi status uh, and the fact that kenya are now a long way off odi status down in the challenge league uh indicates that it uh was not permanent after all so yeah it's just sort of a continued lack of clarity about how teams can can move up and you know the, the the only real way to kind of get anywhere is basically just seems to be begging at the ICC board level and hoping for the best and you know now that Thailand and several others potentially you know one would assume you know maybe a Scotland or, or you know teams of that sort of quality now that they have ODI status I mean that's nice but who's going to play them because it brings us back to the rankings problem which we've talked about before and I'm sure we'll talk about again which is that there's no incentive for a higher ranked team to now play against Thailand because if you're qualifying based on rankings and you're say as a Bangladesh who Thailand beat recently at the World Cup qualifier you don't want that to go on your rankings and then have Thailand leapfrog you on the qualification ladder so, you know, why would those teams play against Thailand and, and risk losing rankings points? So, uh, you know, on the one hand, they get ODI status, but then on the other hand, they don't get any structure around actually letting them play any matches. It's a precarious one. And, and I'll look to you, Tim, as someone who is obviously heading up an associate cricket board. From your perspective, how do you kind of take in a lot of the news that came through over the last week? It's it's quite overcoming given that there's always a lot of news every year in regards to this. And I think one of the frustrations for a lot of associate members is, yes, there's always talk about the grand old future in five to 10 years from now, but there's meetings like this every year and it seems as if there is a lot of chopping and changing, changing in, in global events, how qualification for those is done, how teams can actually move up the ladder. I look at Vanuatu at, in your example, and it's an associate member that, that struggles to get international cricket first up and can't really get a, a ranking in at least one of the formats because you don't have one-day international status. So for you, what's what does the pathway look for, for someone like a Vanuatu who are quite far down as, as sort of a mid-strength associate international team? It must be immensely difficult to kind of see that future or be able to blueprint a pathway to, to move up the chain and, and to develop the game in your country? Well, we're not that far down. You know, we're ranked 29th in the world in T20 internationals and in a, in a very strong region. We've got PNG and Samoa 15 and 16, Indonesia 20 and us 29. So we've got a, a men's team ranked about where we are who's just been handed a spot at a, at a World Cup. So, you know, you put that in context trying to put them side by side you know and I've said many times before that women's events aren't big enough and the revised numbers for the the women's world cups recently was only a slight improvement on what was a a horrible fixture list that had been put together with those multiple events or more events with fewer teams which would have given even fewer chances to, to the likes of Thailand let alone Vanuatu to play and just this arbitrary nature of, of handing out the ODI status to Thailand and a number of others just reeks of more inconsistency of just 
oh look that that'll that'll be okay and everyone will be quiet we'll just give them ODI status but what does it actually do you know Nick said it you know who are they going to be playing against they're not part of the women's championship there's no women's world cup league there's no t20 league they're just going to be going back and playing in their their regional qualifiers likewise for Vanuatu you know where's that next step at least from a men's point of view well we had a world cup league um that was a stepping stone to super leagues etc which you know we nothing was mentioned about that which was disappointing considering you'd like to be thinking about long-term planning you know i noticed in will glenn wright's tweets which was good to see him engaging with with some of the emerging cricket community saying that they're thinking about planning you know 10 and 20 years down the line well if that's the case please show us the the pathway when it comes to, to 50 over cricket but the same thing with with women's cricket you know what is the pathway for of Vanuatu similar to, to Thailand to, to get to that next step rather than do really well and then the ICC will give you ODI status so it's it's a tough one and it's even worse for us at the moment in the fact that in our region we've had no women's cricket for over two years and there won't be any ICC cricket for another year so you know on one hand I look at the likes of Thailand and the age of their team and just think that the damage that this inaction by the ICC around the qualification, what it could potentially do and whether there'll be people that'll drop out of the game. Think of a, an island in maybe the late 2000s and what a, a, a step up to full member status and support would have been for them then, not to 2007, you know, through 7 to 2011 as opposed to 10 years later. And think of the same thing with Thailand, if they could have been given support earlier on. I just hope that this isn't going to come too late to, to support the, the, the game growing. But yeah, I think overall, you know, I guess we'll get onto the, the men's structure of the, the World Cup more. But I think for, for us, the kind of the ultra regionalization of, of the game and no change for that from the women's point of view does, does make it tough because whilst you may still have regional events to try and keep things inexpensive from an ICC point of view, we're in a region where it's very expensive to get around and to run these things anyway. So for us to get experience beyond those IC events is, is very tough. You know, we're trying to get the countries together in the Pacific to get a, an identity and an event there, but it's, it's, it's not cheap to move these things around. So looking at what the next steps are and no semblance of a sort of a pathway of a, a global league or for the likes of a Thailand, then, you know, you got to ask that question about every country, not just Vanuatu. Well, and just on that point about you know the opportunities for women's cricket and you know where they go next with the ODIs for Thailand, and I mean, it just shows there's a there's just a lack of imagination in the way that they structure these things because you know you think about the women's championship, which is currently ten teams, and okay, yes, that's good that it used to be eight teams, so that's an improvement, and you know it'll be fantastic for Irish cricket, you know, to have their women playing nine. ODI series against the other, you know, the other teams, and and that's great. But if you look at it, even from a purely cynical cost-cutting point of view, that's forty-five series for the ICC to organise, right? Why not do it a conferences of seven or, or divisions of seven? So you now have fourteen ODI teams, including Thailand, Zimbabwe, Scotland, maybe PNG, or you know, I can't remember who's next on the rankings 
And if you add that up into a, a round robin format in, in the same way as it is now, that's 42 series. So they're still saving money on, on organizing the number of series versus uh, the 10-team the round robin. And they're dramatically expanding the opportunities available in ODI cricket. So I think to an extent, yes, there, there is a, a ceiling on the amount of things that the ICC can do. But at the same time, there's also a, a ceiling, it seems, on the uh, ambition and uh, innovation that they seem to be able to to come up with to find solutions to try and actually improve opportunities beyond that sort of top level. On the women's side and, and watching a global tournament firsthand that only had eight teams, but then thinking about the women's World Cup qualifier that was cancelled and, and we know everything in regards to all of that already, that doesn't really need to be retold. I don't think there's a huge golfing class by the teams who weren't represented at the World Cup and those who were. Bangladesh had Australia 4 for 50 or something, didn't they? Uh, Bangladesh had Australia 5 for 70. There you go. In a chase of something in the early 140s. And Bangladesh had beaten Pakistan at the tournament proper. And, and that team were rather comprehensively beaten by Thailand during the Women's World Cup qualifier. So you don't really need to look too far to find examples where teams at the the level so-called below are, are competing against teams at an ICC Women's Cricket World Cup. And we found that outside of Australia, there was actually quite a, a pretty decent level of collective strength among the other seven teams once they played against each other. There wasn't a huge deal separating those, those seven teams outside of Australia. But to look at something like a, a men's T20 World Cup, and yes, the, the 2022 World Cup coming up will go a long way to determining places for it, and that will in turn shake up how the continental qualification goes. It's definitely worth bringing this up as, as a big point, where we kind of see the end, the binning of the global qualifier, instead having teams qualifying through the regional qualifiers and yes that might mean that there is an added significance on regional qualifying because we know that world cup spots are determined there but we all know how enjoyable the global qualifiers were from a fan's perspective in times gone by we've heard that the global qualifiers had been beneficial for uh, the ICC from a financial standpoint. Now we see it going towards continental qualification and just kind of eyeballing what we think would kind of happen in these continental qualification groups. There are uh, so-called easy pathways for some teams and quite difficult pathways for others. If you look at Europe and Asia, for instance, there's essentially going to be at least a three-way fight, potentially a four-way fight for, for two spots, which makes, makes it incredibly difficult. And I think this move to a 20-team World Cup at the expense of a global qualifier just seems to be a classic example of everything they giveth, they, they, they taketh, Nick. On the one hand, yes, you've got more teams and that's great. And we've got, what, four groups of five competing at a global tournament. But we see the end of the global qualifier. And even in this cycle, we've seen the global qualifier sort of be moved into two splits of of eight with a different streaming service and, and a different level of coverage. Why is there always a trade-off in, in something like this? Yeah, it's... um, I don't know if you, you watched the Witcher TV series, but uh, there's an episode where the characters meet this genie that grants wishes in the most sort of uh, unhelpful way possible. And that sort of feels a bit like what's happened here. You know, we've wished for so long to get more teams at the World Cup. And now we finally get more teams at the World Cup, but they compensate for it by binning what I would say was probably their best tournament in the in the T20 format. Um, and one is that, as you say, according to their accounts, actually turned a profit. So it doesn't even make financial sense. As to why, I mean, a huge part of it is uh, just the resources 
restrictions, you know. <laughs> Will Glenwright, yeah, as you said, Tim, good good on him for facing up to the, the Twitter crowd of which I am one, you know, it's, it's a tough gig. Um, and yeah, look, ultimately they are just shuffling around a, a limited amount of resources and, and, you know, if you go further up the chain and you look at where a huge chunk of the ICC's revenue is going... Well, it's going into the pockets of the rich full members who, you know, looking at, the, do, does the BCCI really need all that money? I mean, you, you look at the uh, mind-boggling amounts of money they're getting for the IPL and for their bilateral international revenue, you know, they could probably do without it. And, and then that would free up a lot of money for the development team to run the global qualifier and regional qualifiers or, you know, to have more teams in the events and, you know, more more pathway events. So, on on the one hand, there's a there's a huge sort of I would say artificial scarcity in the sense that in order to fund a lot of the new things that they're doing, they basically need to take money out of other things that they were doing and and redeploy it because they just they just don't have the resources. But yeah, at the same time, there is that kind of level of I guess overall vision that I think is a bit lacking in terms of how they can be a bit smarter about applying some of these decisions. Yeah, Nick. It's- bang on it's for how long have we been screaming out for for larger global events as i said before you know the women's still isn't good enough there are enough good teams to have larger events there and there's still no proper pathway for women's teams to progress through there's no world cricket league or t20 league for for women but on 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 the men's side it's a tough one because here we have a larger event 20 teams amazing you see more associate teams on the global stage more chance for them to get sponsors and exposure in their their own countries that's good but then everything behind it is just a bit meh you know we debate vigorously the the under 19 world cup qualification pathway you know that's only it's funny enough to say only a 16 team event and there's one team from each region and we say well what does that mean are you getting the best teams well no you're not guaranteeing you get the best teams because you're only getting one from each region however it does keep the regional events with spice and countries know that they can invest and they only need to get through their region and to some degree this is true on the on the men's side as well but we've got more teams qualifying and therefore we have more teams from certain regions and, and not others and that just the balance doesn't it just doesn't feel right it doesn't pass the sniff test for me in that you, you could have the best of both worlds here you could have amazing regional events but then a pretty simply set up repercharge for those that don't get through those regional events you could have the top team in each region going through and and then a rapid charge event or different weightings because you know how many america's teams have we had in t20 world cups so the fact that usa is getting a free pass and like i mentioned before they ranked 28th in the world um getting a free pass all of a sudden it kind of it creates a bit of a lopsided situation here so i'm not going to kick and scream about how terrible using regional qualification is because if they're done right and actually run as proper events unlike what we've seen in the pathway thus far it could be okay you know we've just lost like you said nick the well both of you said you know one of the better events in terms of context and its structure and really the world cup could have taken a leaf out of the book that the way that it was structured um, and the way that was covered so what are we left with Again, Will on on Twitter. That's this is what we're going by because again, this is a, probably the first of human response we've got alongside these press releases saying that they're investing more than than ever before and having more teams in the World Cup. 
uh, and broadcasting uh, of the pathway tournaments and I think that's a bit of a bit of a misnomer for me because you know to have six more teams in a world cup does that mean that you're spending more money than than hosting a 14 team global qualifier with with proper coverage i i don't think so and the the, the fact that the money coming in to cover you know that the, to broadcast those pathway events has come from an img deal which is reportedly seven figures plus so it's not the the icc dipping into their their wallets to pay for more it's the fact that it's been structured differently so but the tough thing for me again and it's such a big thing and again it was acknowledged by will on on, on twitter is that these events need to be covered properly and he mentioned that yes it's something they've been talking about a lot but the substandard coverage we've had of the so-called global qualifier a and who knows what's going to be waiting for us in in july in 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 zimbabwe for the men's event it's just really taken a gloss off all of this you know the whole point of us advocating for so long for a a proper global league structure and it being broadcast properly is the brand of cricket is is amazing there's some great stories and the quality of cricket is good but if you're watching it through you know with with one eye shut with cameras that that don't always broadcast what they're supposed to with an app that that doesn't have any context or tables or any semblance of of, of structure how is that going to help the game grow so i'm i'm going to hold my verdict or at least hold my yelling from the treetops until we hear more about what's being done with the coverage of the events before i, I lambast the, the regional structure but we're going to have to wait till 2024 to see this event but up until then we're going to see if we're going to see more of these three camera streams and these events that frankly are being disrespected it really does take the gloss off what this should be which is actually really great news that we're going to have a 20 team global event and it's going to be co-hosted by an associate well just on that there are a lot of moving parts in the way that ICTV's site is run and having a little bit of an inside track on that it's been interesting to see how that happens it's it's a case of a digital client and crit clubs kind of working together to put those streams up and you have to think too there's been events where the internet on site has literally not been good enough to hold a stream and i don't know exactly who's responsible for not knowing that before you know you go into an event but you would like to think that someone would be doing their due diligence to make sure all of that is ironed out i've heard and and i've caught wind of workshops and consultations that will be going on being able to provide feedback on how ICTV works and, and how the the streaming structure works but to put a personal take on it i think you know six cameras at a minimum must be done and we need some sort of effects mic to, to kind of bring the game between the 22 yards to life because having it so far away and you know inaudible it, it makes the experience very difficult and we know that cricket you know we've been spoiled by how cricket was brought to our our television screens but yeah if we're going to go down a streaming platform it needs to be done in the right way and as you say tim to bring the event to life and to do it justice because you know we've seen a global qualifier in the flesh where well, sorry, not in the flesh. We've seen a, a <laughs> global qualifier. Tim, you've seen it in the flesh. But on television, it's been seamless. And, and just watching that event on, on TV, it just does such wonderful things for the game and for the exposure of a number of these teams. And yeah, to have it lost just to, to streaming on the internet, there needs to be a way where all of that can be brought better to the masses. To go back to the tournament itself and... Yeah, we're talking about it as if it's a long time away, but in the context of emerging cricket, 
two and a bit years is really not a long time. And the way that the global events in the next cycle are running, we're almost one global tournament after the next at this point, whether it be women's or men's, whether it be under-19s, whether it be 2020 or, or 50 over. And in all of that, you've got a World Test Championship that will be played out by the full members as well. Before we know it, this is going to be upon us. And... I can't see too much happening in the next 18 months that makes me think that, you know, the 20 teams that we will see are the 20 sort of best teams or the 20 teams that we think are the strongest now. And just kind of eyeballing the way that it's looking. And we know the West Indies and USA are already through. If you were to take the top four finishes in each of the Super 12 groups from last year's T20 World Cup and make them your top eight finishes at this upcoming T20 World Cup, it means that the likes of... Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe are probably going to be your next best teams on T20I rankings. And then if you take it further and you look to continental qualification, Asia has a three-way fight realistically between Nepal, UAE and Oman. And that's not even counting the emergence of Bahrain and Singapore. You look to East Asia Pacific, PNG, yes, you'd say are arguably favourites, but you know the way that Vanuatu could come along in the next 18 months... Uh, we've seen Philippines at a global qualifier. We know how they got there, though. That's going to be tricky. But to look at, at somewhere like Europe, for instance, we're going to have the Netherlands, Ireland, and Scotland potentially competing for two spots. Now, I would argue that if we were to look at the 20 best teams in the world, all three of those, and even you know, with Netherlands being a bit out of form and disappointing at the last T20 World Cup, I'd still well and truly put them in the top 20 teams in the world. So, Nick, is there almost a case of, instead of kind of looking at just a regional qualification, almost taking a page out of FIFA's book, who do World Cup qualification really well. And, and FIFA do a lot of things badly, and, and, and that's well documented. But qualification for global tournaments is something that they, they do well in the splitting of coefficients, in the way that intercontinental qualification is also done. And from an Australian point of view, we're about to see that sort of take place in the next couple of months in Qatar, which is also a different measure that they've put in into football just to make sure they get the qualifiers done in time. But intercontinental qualification... Was it something that could have been discussed, was discussed? Because I'm thinking of, say, potentially EAP had half an automatic place in that they had to play against, say, Canada or an America's qualifier in an intercontinental qualifier. You played it at a neutral venue. It was a best out of three series. To me, that is an incredible opportunity to watch and to showcase the emerging game in qualification for a, a global event, have they missed a trick almost by not having something like that rather than just straight set spots in regional qualifying centres? Because you would also argue that it, it's probably disproportionate to how strong teams are in certain regions. Yeah, I mean, this is... It's it's all a kind of overlapping because, you know, Tim was talking about the, the quality of the broadcast and the stream and how it shortchanges the quality of the event and... and it's not a good advertisement for the product. And what is the product? The product is international cricket. And if you're tuning in to watch, you know, international cricket that's supposedly really important and, you know, these teams are qualifying for the World Cup and, you know, the stream keeps dropping out and there's just a couple of dodgy cameras and it just, it looks cheap and it cheapens the whole tournament. And, you know, you, you compare that to the global qualifier in 2019, which had all the razzle-dazzle and the, you know, the, the high production values. And that looked the part of a, you know, proper, important world cricketing event. And <laughs> are the regional tournaments going to look like that? Or are they going to look more like the global qualifier, the you know, the cut down version of the global qualifier we saw with, 
you know, where <laughs> the, the streams barely worked and, you know, the, yeah, cheap. So that's that's one aspect is just how you're packaging it in terms of the, the production values. But even if you get the production values right, the actual quality of the tournaments is pretty compromised with this regional structure, I think, because, you know, you, you talked about FIFA's global qualifying system which I, th- I mean, they've got it down to a fine art, really, in terms of the groups, the way that you know each region has uh, slots for the World Cup allocated is more or less based on the strength, which I don't really see that in in this way. And and having half slots and the interregional qualifiers, you know, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you and Tim both remember the Socceroos beating Uruguay to qualify for the 2006 World Cup. And I was there. That interregional competition, New Zealand managed to get to a World Cup through the interregional qualification, even though Oceania only has uh, half of a slot. And went undefeated at the 2010 World Cup, might <laughs> yes, I add. That's yes. the best trivia question of all time. The only Who's undefeated, the only undefeated yeah. team at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Uh, three draws. Yeah, go home. Um, but uh, but yes, you know, if you are going to go down the road of regional qualifiers, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but FIFA has a much cleverer way of, of allocating the slots you know if if the ICC was going to follow that they could do something like Asia gets three Europe gets two or two and a half East Asia Pacific and Americas both get half Africa maybe gets one and a half that already and then you know some playoffs or a repechage tournament like jumping across to rugby who also have a 20 team World Cup and they have repechage tournament you know to make it back in for the stronger teams so that you, you do get higher quality teams at the uh, the event um, and that's the other thing you know if if you're trying to advocate for associates and this is one of the sort of tough dilemmas is personally I have no problem with you know the Philippines or whoever making it through and, and, and getting hammered by the full members but there, there will always be this chorus of you know whinges that oh you know these these associates don't deserve to be here and we should just cut down the number of teams again they're just wasting everyone's time and so th- the issue with cricket is that that voice has so much strength you know you you need to put your best foot forward in terms of having you know the strongest associates i think so that's that's one consideration um but even if we are going to go down the path of of regional playoffs fifa you know all the teams need to qualify you know germany has to play against san marino or andorra whoever even though they're the defending champions and uh, you know every full member can you imagine if every full member actually needed to qualify regionally that would actually raise the profile of the regional tournaments in a way that i don't think we're going to get if it if it is just the usual kind of associates you know bend away onto a stream that no one pays attention to you know imagine if say uh, a bangladesh has to make it out of a tough asia qualifying group and you know they're up against uh, for example oman in so the, the the possibilities there are amazing in terms of just having a good product you know a good sporting product to sell and it also means that you have a much higher chance of the better teams making it through. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of things that the ICC could have done to improve the global qualifying structure. Uh, Some of it probably would have cost a bit of money, which maybe is why we're not seeing it. But even some of the other things, like why do they need to have a couple of slots available based on rankings? You know, we've talked so many times about how rankings are no use, both in terms of how they're easily manipulable, but also just... The, the algorithms themselves spit out some pretty unreliable results. And if we're siloing teams into regions, the rankings are going to be even less accurate because you're not going to be getting the top teams from each regions playing each other. So how do you make a, 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 you know, a rankings-based decision? Why not just have, for example, the top 12 teams 
or you know top 11 plus the USA go through based on their position at the 2022 World Cup. That would make way more sense than using rankings because, yeah, the, the, the rankings are just a mess. Uh, I don't know. It, it just There's so many ways they could have done it better and it wouldn't have even needed to cost more money. So, as I said, I, there's just this, this lack of kind of vision, I think, that is really hurting kind of the new pathway structures that are being brought in with, I'm sure, the best of intentions. And um, we, we know the dev team <laughs> are doing their best, but... Yeah, there's always going to have to be tough compromises with limited resources, but you know, even within those structures, um, I think they've made a few mistakes. Yeah, that's that's one thing again that leaves a real bad taste in the mouth. Like the use the use of rankings, you, you just created a situation where unless a team is going to be in a World Cup or pay for a series themselves and play someone outside of their region, they're never going to play a team outside of their region. So how is that fair to use what will end up almost being a regional? ranking and you'll only be able to move backwards and forwards with playing against teams in your own region but you're going to be judged against global rankings and teams that you you've, you've never played or you haven't played in a, in five years or, or at least the the length of time that the the rankings take to drop off so it just makes no sense like you said you've got this consistency of events that you could use for places if you had to have reserved places it just it makes makes no sense um because in that time it's going to be the countries that can afford it that will gain the system and if it means that a country is going to invite you come play a bilateral series or teams are able to pull out of series because they they, they may think it's going to negatively affect their their rankings it's just all it's all negative like and i think you know, we've heard the discussion before about countries saying that T20Is shouldn't e- exist, you know, not knowing how important they are to the development of the game. But if we're going to be playing this much T20I cricket with World Cups and 20-team World Cup and, and regional qualifiers, then it really does sort of beg the question what use those bilaterals will, will have between events beyond teams just trying to gain their ranking. So it's a, I don't know, it's... I, I'm trying not to be pessimistic, you know, but it just there's so many things that have just been created here that, like you said, that could have been done better and not necessarily spending more money. It is crazy looking back now. Okay, yes, I'll put full member glasses on, but to look back and just see how test tours of a bygone era were done, it's essentially just inviting each other over for a few games. Now you've got something a little bit more in place of the World Test Championship. And granted, it's not perfect in its own right. And, and that's been well documented too. And even the Super League. And, and I find, you know, that the idea of scrapping the Super League is so premature, given that there's been so many variables outside of even the ICC's control with, you know, this thing called COVID, where we haven't even had the opportunity to give the Super League a chance and see if it's a viable qualification structure put in place with the Challenge League, with League 2, to see if it all works. It's just too much that's happened outside of cricket for us to truly determine if it was a good thing or not. And and again, the ICC are chopping and changing with how they want to work out the qualification for those tournaments, uh, for, for the 50-over Cricket World Cup as well. So I'd just love to know who has such an infatuation for the ICC team rankings at the ICC and who <laughs> thinks that they are qualifiable in terms of of how effective they are because they're just so easy to manipulate if you want to protect your ranking or if you want to seek out how to somehow cook it in such a way where you 
play teams that you know you will be able to beat. And yes, granted, teams below you on the rankings, if you do beat them, you receive less points than if you were to beat a team above you in the rankings. But I feel like it just perpetuates a cycle of the rich being rich and the, and the poor being poor because if you can't organize matches to host, for instance, and you don't get home field advantage to play T20 internationals, then you know you find yourself behind the eight ball and it's just impossible to, to qualify with, with everything going against you like that. I, I for me, it it just doesn't seem very meritocratic, and yeah, that's a very easy thing to say when we talk about cricket. And cricket's never really been meritocratic in that regard. But you would like to think that the progress would be made where change can happen. And okay, great, we're going to have a, tw- a twenty team World Cup, and there are going to be teams in it that have never been in it before. We know that because the USA are going to be there. But I think what you want from a global tournament and the qualification for that tournament is that the most deserving teams and the teams that will play best at that tournament are there. And looking at the way that qualifiers have been done in times gone by, for instance, looking at the 2014 Cricket World Cup qualifier for the 2015 tournament that was held, uh, the tournament that proper was held in Australia and New Zealand, but the qualifier was held in New Zealand. It was a 14-team tournament, which was better than what we had in 2019. But at least we could determine who was the most tournament-ready team at the associate level, at the level underneath the automatic qualifiers, playing in a qualifier in similar conditions to that of the tournament proper, that we determine the teams that are most ready to play that tournament. And that's why it actually, in a weird kind of roundabout way, sort of worked out that, okay, the qualifier for the 2021 T20 World Cup was in UAE. Not that the team's exactly prepared for that, because they had all thought that they were going to be playing in Australia and they sort of built their teams knowing that that's where the tournament proper would be. I just worry that, you know, with all of these continental qualifiers too, playing in different conditions, playing against opponents who aren't necessarily tournament ready rather than a global qualifier for a global tournament, we're just going to have this weird skew of teams where you are going to have great teams miss out on a 20-team World Cup and then teams who, in theory would have no right at qualifying for a t- uh, for a 20-team tournament playing there still. So, I don't know. You would think that the 20-team tournament and the exposure that they would give to associate members who are playing in that potentially for the first time, you would think that down the track, yes, that's great. And the exposure that that has leads to better funding, leads to government support, leads to all of this. But if the planning for future tournaments changes and they go back to a smaller number of teams like they've done with the 50 over world cup in the past does that mean that everything that's good that comes from the 2024 tournament does that just get lost straight away because i could see a scenario nick and i'm sure you're here with me that okay great we we see a team qualify for the 2024 tournament that does struggle at the next level because of the way the new structure is put in place it's four groups of five teams so we're theoretically going to have the best team in the world playing against say, the fifth team in a group. And yeah, they they do get beaten comprehensively in the four games that they play. Do the ICC turn around at the end of this global tournament and just say, oh, look, it didn't work because of this one example, and you end up going back to 16 teams or you go back to 12 teams? Yes, they're promising so much with a 20-team tournament, but is it just a case of, well, they'll give it to us one time and then the next time they'll just determine after one tournament that doesn't work and they just go back to 16 teams in a different qualification pathway altogether? Well, yeah, I mean, as we've said, they they do chop and change a lot with these things, so it's it's hard to know what they might do. And you know, the 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 voices that complain about associate participation, I'm sure, will be out in force 
as soon as you know Rishabh Pant hits 200 against a, an associate, they'll um, everyone will be calling for them to be put in the bin again. But my concern is more, and, and I guess this ties back to your your example about Kenya, is that you know having a, a lot of teams at the World Cup is great, but then where's the support in between the World Cups for them to be improving and and rather than just sort of being a, a flash in the pan once every few years, um, actually getting the, that consistent improving contextual cricket that allows them to continue to be competitive and and to build on their success and it just seems like the way that all of these changes are going is that basically they've put everything at the top level with the the more teams in the tournament but then neglected the in-between years a little bit and that's a concern in terms of you know sustaining the momentum of, of associate development. Uh, this is Will Glenwright, General Manager of Development for the International Cricket Council, and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. In news to wrap up this week's show, Scotland has pressed its claim for an automatic spot to the Men's Cricket World Cup qualifier with three wins from three in League Two action this week. Ahead of their Friday fixture against Oman, Kyle Kutzeside moved to second on the table with victory over PNG. Kutza himself top-scored with 74, while Gavin Mayne claimed 5 for 52 in the 123-run win. Oman remained top of the League 2 ladder, though played just one more tri-series in the competition. We'll wrap the tri-series in full on next week's show. Uganda have returned home after a successful tour of Namibia, sharing the unofficial one-day series one match apiece and claiming one of the three T20Is. Runs for Simon Sazazi at the top of the order and late order exploits from Dinesh Nakrani and Riazat Ali Shah saw the Cranes home in a chase of 268 to claim the second 50-over match. The pair were also instrumental in their T20i victory, chasing a target of 178 with a ball to spare. JJ Smith was key in the Eagles series victory, making a 35-ball 71 and taking 6 for 10, including a hat-trick in the series decider. Meanwhile, the bad fortune continues for skipper Herat Erasmus, breaking his hand while batting. We'll wrap the series in full next week. And finally, T20 cricket has been locked in for the 2026 Commonwealth Games. Victorian State Premier Dan Andrews confirmed the news via Twitter as one of 16 sports to be held in regional areas of the state. Women's T20 cricket will be held at the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. To keep up with news and events from the Games New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket wherever you are, on social media and across our listening platforms. For now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, we'll see you next week.